The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following program belong solely to the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of this radio station, our parent company, advertisers, or affiliates. Welcome to Sharing Our Stories. We share stories of support for individuals in recovery from substance misuse and mental health-related issues. There are numerous pathways to recovery, and each week we welcome powerful leaders and role models who have struggled in drug and or alcohol addiction, have found a pathway to recovery, and who thrive as positive community members with an ongoing vision of success. Join us as we share our experiences, strength, and hope. When the world says, give up, hope whispers. Try it one more time. What's going on, Mile High? And welcome back to Sharing Our Stories. My name is Slim with Nani Al-Jalil from Tribe Recovery Homes. Our guest, Brandy Jennings from Denver. And if you're a a newbie around here, Sharing Our Stories is a program about addiction and recovery. We share stories um, about the struggles we've had in, in addiction, the drugs and or alcohol. Everybody has had to deal with these things in this room. And we let you know that, yes, we do recover. And we try to to spread that strength, that hope that yes, recovery can happen and it can happen for you, a loved one, a friend, a family member. Um, don't believe that somebody has to suffer in addiction forever. So welcome to the program. And I uh, want to thank our guest for being here, Brandy Jennings from Denver. How you yeah, doing? doing great. High five to you, girl. Uh, my girl, Nani Al-Jalil here representing Tribe Recovery Homes. Tribe, uh, I should say Tomas Hernandez, uh, the president and CEO of Tribe is currently in Las Vegas. Okay. Right. Isn't that, am I right? Yep. Okay. He's always in Las Vegas because <laughs> Tribe Recovery Homes is consistently expanding and just doing amazing things. Hi, Nani. Hi, Slim. How you been? Been good. So everybody gave me a hard time that last week when we were here, I was like, <laughs> gonna let yes. Nani speak. Give don't you say, a hard Nani, time. Cut Nani's me always off. here. She just gets to show her face and we don't let her talk. So we were going to ask Nani how she's doing. We were like, Nani, how you doing? And she said two words and then we cut her off. Cut me off. Yep. So how you doing, Nani? Doing really good. All right. So great. Our guest today is Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Slim. I appreciate it. Uh, um, we're getting ready for the holiday. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you guys see, and I know you haven't been with Tribe for like 10 years, but you know, in the time yeah. that you've been there, do you see um, things increase during the holidays? Do you, do you have more people that come in after the holidays? Yeah, I think that I think that that's the natural course, right? During the holiday season, people, it's cold out there. Um, mm-hmm. And also mental health and substance use increases. Uh, that's yeah. what happens during the holiday season. And we want to encourage people, if you need help, if you need somewhere to go, please call us, reach out to us. We're there to support you. We're there to help walk beside you. So reach out to Tribe. That's I remember what we're here for. having some blackout alcohol days yeah. during the holidays, especially right. holidays that Absolutely. I spent by myself. Right. Because I don't have any family here in Colorado. Right. So I spend my holidays. If I don't have a, a girlfriend at the time, I spend my holidays with my dogs if I don't fly away. And I remember mm-hmm. holidays where I would just sit there and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you a holiday happened. Mm-hmm. Blackout drunk and just, you know, drinking in my depression. Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of us, you know, the holidays are really difficult. It's a difficult time. And, um, you, and you deal with so many different things, whether it's no family or maybe you've lost family members, mm-hmm. uh, loneliness. Yeah. Um, just sometimes I think it's as much as, you know, Christmas is here and you don't feel like you can provide for your family. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and sometimes you can't provide because you're using, but you're not thinking about that fa- part. You're just thinking, I can't provide and you go, you know, use. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Drink, do drugs, whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we and we don't want people to suffer. We want people to know that they have a place to go. You have a home at Tribe. 
Yeah. And if it's not tribe, if we're not the fit for you, we will help you find a place to go. I think that's really important. And, and it's something you should know about. I would say the majority of sober living homes and, and programs here is if they can't help you, they want to put you in touch with somebody who can. Yes. So when you call somebody and, and you talk to them, and you go, you know, I. I don't know if this is it. Or they say, you know what? This may not be the place for you. Ask them what else they know and, yeah. and where else they can send you or if they have connections for you. If they don't have anything for you, if they're like, I don't have any idea for you, that's probably not the place you wanted to begin with. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. If they're like, oh no, it's us or the highway. You'll never survive anywhere <laughs> else. Well, you know what? You will. You will and you don't want them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, I want to use up all of our time for, for our, our guest Brandy today and not just eat it up. And, uh, you know, because we can talk. <laughs> you know, especially Nani. I'll ask her one question, give her two word answer and just keep on going. <laughs> That's right. Tracks. Tracks. But Brandy, you're from Denver? I, well, I'm from, um, I come from a military family. So I grew up in California. Okay. And then uh, I progressed on to the South. And then I came back to Washington State. And then I came to Denver 17 years ago. So are we at four locations or that's just what I caught? There's more than that. There's four. There's four. There absolutely like, is. I've been everywhere. <laughs> well, I'm glad we have you here in Colorado and I'm glad you are here to share with us. Thank you for so, having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. This program is all yours. We, and we open it up, uh, open up the time for you. Want you to use it to tell everybody what you've been through and uh, where you're at now. And, you know, let's spread some hope that you know, people do recover. We believe that by doing this program and, and sharing our stories that hopefully we can touch somebody out there, Absolutely. whether they're suffering in their addiction or maybe they just they know a friend or a family member and right now they're like, I don't know what to do about my brother or my best friend and I, right. I don't understand how to talk to them or what they're going through and I give up on them. You know, I understand those thoughts and those feelings, but we wanna let you know that maybe you'll hear this and go, you know what? I think I understand my friend, my brother, my my cousin a little bit more. And maybe I can still stand in their corner and, and try to support them in getting clean. So that's what this program is about. And Mile High, our guest today, Brandy Jennings from Denver. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. OK, so I'm just going to start from the beginning. Um, I grew up in a, in a very normal um, military family. Um, I had a father that provided a a uh, stepmom that stayed home. I had a little bit of trauma in my childhood. Um, my mother left when I was three and I was, um, a, you know, basically abandoned for a large majority of my childhood by her. So I always had that like in the back of my head. Um, I did go through some, some abuse early on um, in my, you know, teenage years. And, um, but, you know, I never knew that I, I just knew I was different, right? I just that I didn't fit in anywhere. And I really couldn't figure out why. Um, and it wasn't until later when I got into recovery that I figured out um, that I've always been an addict in one form or another, long before I put drugs in my body. And so um, I'll progress from there. You know, um, I... I got to the age of 13, my, my father and my mother, they had rules. I was not one that liked to follow rules. I like to be, um, you know, rebellious, probably like any teenager, but, but 
enhanced, right? Because I have an addictive personality and I like to take everything from zero or under. I'm either at zero or I'm at a hundred and there's really no in between. And so um, I decided um, at the age of 13, I had found my mother and she had no rules. She had the guilt and the shame and I was manipulative, right? Because we know how to manipulate people. And so I played on that and I went to live with her and it wasn't long before I was pregnant and I had kids very young. Um, I was a great mom, you know, I was coaching T-ball, coaching, you know, like flag football, doing all the things and the stuff with the kids. I had four kids, um, back to back and, um, I got married when I was 16. And, um, although he and I are excellent friends today, you know, that didn't work out. And so, um, I got married when I was, uh, in my early twenties, um, to, you know, a man that I, I loved very much, you know, um, I had no idea that he was using drugs. Um, and it was probably seven years into our marriage that this came about where, um, you know, I found out that he was using drugs. And, and at this point I was going to college. I was a welder, um, and ship fitter at the shipyards in, in the South. And, uh, I was raising four kids and it was a lot. And I've always put a lot on my plate, but, um, the solution was, hey, maybe you should try some of this. And so um, I tried, uh, I, I tried some meth, and um, I could, you know, I felt like I was superwoman. I could do everything, and you know, I was labeling. It was really crazy, and that's back when this stuff was, you know, like twenty times stronger than it is now. And um, my kidney shut down immediately. I had never, I had never been a drinker. I had never used pot. I had never used anything to that point. I just wasn't exposed to any of that, probably from my dad sheltering me. And then also um, from the fact that I was so busy being a parent. And it in the hospital, um, they gave me IV uh, dilated. And that is where I found my, my love and my drug of choice was opiates. And when I say my drug of choice, please don't get it twisted. Like, I will do anything that is there, pretty much. You know, um, I, my drug of choice is more, you know, and, and preferably more of yours. So I, 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 uh, the things we come up with, we come up with some great phrases. <laughs> we sure do. Yeah. Right. And so it, it progressed very quickly. Um, and I also, you know, I'm an addict in every way. Um, and everything is enhanced, like I said. And I also saw the, the, the in there to make money, you know, because I was from Cali and um, the stuff, you know, the stuff was I was in, you know, like New Orleans, Biloxi, Pascagoula, building, building boats and ships and everybody. It's crazy because when you're not using, you think nobody else is using. But when you're using, you recognize everybody who is using. And from the gold hats down, they were high, you know. And so um, I. I was like, well, I could make some money with this. So I started, you know, before 9-11, of course, started flying to California, bringing drugs back in. Um, my husband uh, was what I would call, you know, a really um, addicted but functioning addict, right? But that did, that's not how I, I do my stuff, right? The minute I put dope in my body, my life crumbles. And so I was always told by him and the people surrounding him, hey, why can't you just use like we do? You know, so I always literally thought that I needed to try to get better at using. And I tried and tried and tried to use better. And eventually um, we were using so many drugs that things got very violent, right? They got violent. Um, 
he had never been doing that many drugs before as I was like bringing in. So we were, we were using horribly and everything started to fall apart and there was abuse and there was all this stuff. And, um, I was finally at a point where I left that because of the abuse. I took my children with me and he kept breaking into my, my places of residence. Um, and, it, you know, it was a point where he was really connected there in the South and I was just a girl from Cali and it was, you know, the small town, good old boy thing. And, um, I'll never forget sitting in a sheriff's department and one of the newer women sheriffs came up to me and said, if you don't leave, he's going to kill you. Take your kids and go. And so I fled to the state of Washington where my parents had moved to, um, retire, even though my dad continued working, um, and I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to leave this place and, you know, I'm going to detox and I'm going to, you know, I'm just not going to be able to find any drugs and everything will be cool. I got, so did you recognize at that time that you had, like, were you thinking to yourself, I have a drug problem? Absolutely not. You, I was know. thinking I needed to try harder. Yeah. Try harder. Like I can control this. Like I can work this out. I just need to, I need to change this. I can and function. I, I can function. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like I've got this, you know, I absolutely had never heard the word addict. I had never heard the word recovery. I had never heard of a 12 step fellowship. I just knew that I wasn't able to function. And so I believed that I had a moral dilemma, that mm. I was just a piece of crap and that I was a bad mother. And how could I let this happen? And all of the blame was focused on me. All of the guilt and the shame was on me, which just just provoked me to use more, mm. right? To numb those feelings. And so I was selling uh, specific drugs to support my habit of my drug of choice. And um, it just it just continued. And... I got off the airplane with my children in um, in Seattle and was immediately approached by six officers, mm. uh, you know, with their hands on their guns. And um, they said, you have um, an outstanding $83 check in uh, Mississippi and we have a governor's warrant for you. And this is how good old boy it was back then. And um, they said, we have to take your children and you're going to jail awaiting extradition. And so an $83 check, an $83 bounce check, correct, which I don't even think existed. It never came up again. So my parents were able to take the kids um, and they said, you have to return them back to their father within uh, two days. And so I was transported and they they actually have jails in the bottom of airports in case you didn't know. (laughs) There's like cells down there. Good information. Right. And so I I went to, um, you know, Island County Jail and um, was awaiting extradition. And if they didn't come to get me in 60 days, they would let me go. And so I um, got to see my kids for the last time behind plexiglass. And I'll never forget their little hands, you know, on mine. And and I just didn't know when I was going to get to see them again. Uh, And so I waited extradition for 60 days. Of course, nobody came to get me. There was probably never a check. Who knows? Um, You know, I could be bitter about that or I could just be like, this is part of my solution eventually, right? So you got to find gratitude in these things. Um, my When I got was released from jail after 60 days, I called to um, try to get my children back. And they said, uh, your parental rights are severed because you abandoned your children. Now, this was, in fact, not true. However, in my mind, I was such a piece of crap and I was so, you know, I was such a bad mother. Like, I deserved this, right? Mm-hmm. So I deserve for this to happen to me. And so then my excuse to use 
became, I lost my kids. Now I'm, you know, I lost my kids this, this amount of time ago. And now, uh, you know, like I have nothing to live for. And so I became, um, I, I went on a, a mission of slow suicide, right? Um, because I, you know, I never, I never had the balls to like do that or even have that cross my mind. But I definitely was on a slowly committing suicide. And um, I'll never forget uh, sitting in jail. And um, I, I, you know, I got out and I, I caught a charge for, it, I, we lived on an island, on, on Whidbey Island, right? And there's like two two pharmacies, one on the north end and one on the south end at this time. And I was forging prescriptions. Like, you know, it didn't take long for me to get caught forging these prescriptions. I'll never forget, I went to jail uh, for the first time and uh, for, well, for the second time, but the first time that I put myself there. And the girls in the jail were like, why are you, you know, forging prescriptions? We definitely have something better for you. Um, You can get really good heroin here and it's, you know, a lot cheaper. And so um, I was like, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Thanks, girls. You know, and so I I got out of jail and um, I was doing a lot of, um, a lot of heroin, a lot of cocaine and I was full throttle, full throttle. And I, you know, I was always trying to make money, but as we know, right, um, that money goes straight to my habit. And I'm not a great criminal. I'm, I'm just a very blunt person. And so um, the getting and using and finding ways and means to get more consumed me. And I kept going to jail over and over and over again. I think at one point they came to me and it was either Island County or Mount Vernon and uh, Skagit County. And they, the, the captain came to me and she's like, I want you to look at these arrest photos and I want you to look at the progression. And it was horrible. It was like something from a poster, mm-hmm. right? And um, I was just slowly killing myself. And and my father, you know- those, I, I'm sorry to cut go you ahead. off. Did those posters- those pictures, did they stop you in any way? I mean, you said it was horrible, but no, did no. it make you go, oh my goodness? No, no. much no. like losing my children didn't stop me. That yeah. didn't stop me, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I thought I thought it was horrible, but not horrible enough to stop using drugs, right? And so um, I, I need to go back a little bit. You know, my father, man, he's always been my biggest supporter. You know, he has had me from the age of three and he has always stood by my side no matter what, no matter what. I mean, I remember like calling my dad and, and being like, you know, I'm just the the manipulative I would do. I would call him and I would say, Hey, if you don't bring me some new needles, you know, I'm going to, get this disease or something, you know, just like horrible stuff to put your parents through. I remember him, you know, calling him like, I need to get out of here and him coming to trap houses and waiting outside for me for hours for me to come out of there, you know, and just, and it didn't matter. You know, my dad had this rule um, and he would pay for my cell phone as long as I would call him every day. And if he didn't hear from me after day two, he would shut my cell phone off. And he, cause he knew I had a habit. And he knew that I would have to call somebody to fill that habit. So if I wasn't calling to check in with him and my phone got shut up and then I didn't reply, he would start calling the hospitals and jails. And I always wondered, like, how does he know I'm in jail? You know, but this is the the pattern that he had. And um, his biggest fear was, of course, calling the hospitals to find out I was dead because really that's where everybody thought I was going to wind up, you know. And we didn't know about addiction. We just... uh, 
you know, my family saw me grow up. There's no addiction in my family except for me, right, on my dad's side, which is where I, I where I knew. And um, it we didn't understand it, right? And we weren't taught um, anything until I got clean. And so um, it, he found me in places that I, I, I was so happy to see him, but I didn't want him to see me like that, right? And so in the back of my mind, I was like, one day, one day I'm going to make my dad proud. One day. And so um, I went on to keep catching charges, right? I went to prison in Washington twice, maybe three times to party. And um, they would just let me out, right? They did have a thing called drug court there. But the deal was back then, if you, I didn't know what drug court was. I just knew it was for people who use use drugs, right? Mm. And so the deal was, if you didn't successfully keep, uh, complete drug court, you would do twice your sentence. Well, I was, I was an addict, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's not like a bad, I, uh, that's a bad deal. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I could always find drugs in prison. Like yeah. that was not, a, you know, not a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I continued, you know, I was like, just give me my time. We're good, you know? And so I would get at, get into prison. I would come out. I would fail my first UA and I would run. And then they would catch me, and then I would go back to prison. They would let me out. I would fail my UA, and I would run. And it was this, this you know, hamster wheel of um, of emotions, you know. And they gave you, like, $20 when you got out back then. And I always used it before I got home to the island. I was, like, at Tacoma pre-release or somewhere, and it would be gone, and I would be off to the races again. And it's not—it wasn't my intention, like, when I, when I was in prison, right, because without a plan— without a solid plan and like knowing where we're going and knowing what our actions are going to be. And without, you know, knowing that we are an addict, we are stuck with the committee between our head. Right. And it's going to tell us the same thing over and over again. Like you have to have this to feel better. You have to have this to function. And so, um, you know, and before I knew it, I was like, eight years into my addiction and I was still telling the same story. Yeah. Well, you don't know what happened to me. Like I lost my kids two years ago and it had been eight years. You know what I mean? Because the time just goes and goes. And so finally I was, uh, I was, I, I caught another case and not that anybody was throwing them to me, but that's what we say. Right. So I caught another case and we were um, looking at 14 years this time mm. for manufacturing distri- distribution. And it wasn't just, you know, possession or anything like that. Um, and so, uh, I remember specifically, um, being let out of jail, uh, to go do a drug evaluation. Like, I don't know who thought they were going to let me out of jail or what idiot came up with that plan, but I knew where I was going. I was going on the run. And so I kept running and it's a small Island. So I was like off Island and, um, eventually this guy, I knew a lot of people. I, I knew most people in the game. Right. And so, I was at a trap house. I was selling my drug to support this drug. Um, we were kind of dry. And uh, this guy showed up from another island. And he's like, hey, uh, every door that we go to, they're knocking on the door looking for you. It's the cops. Like, they are coming. And he's like, I'm like, well, I just got to wait here for some of my stuff. He's like, oh, no, I got that. Do you have this? And so I had his drug of choice. He had my drug of choice. So I, I left town with him and married him. 
Right? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> of course, that's the plan. You know, like, I'm like, I could change my I'm like, I had no, you, you know, have what I, mean? I want, I have what you, you want. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is definitely, yeah. yeah, he's like, I got I got people in Colorado. We can run to Colorado. They won't find you. I'll change your name. Like, yeah. you know, and it all happened really fast. So we dipped out, you know? And so when I look back at it, I'm like, what the hell were you thinking? You know, but in my drug induced, you know, psychosis and everything else, like, it sounded like legit. Plan. <laughs> and so okay. we get to Colorado, right? It's about, I don't know. We ran out of drugs on the way. It was like two weeks before, you know, and I was like going down the street. I'm like, you know, I recognize my people. So I'm like, hey, where do you get trucks? And they said, Colfax. <laughs> yes. Checks out. That's the one. Yeah, checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to, I'll never forget it, right? So, um, you know, I could always call my dad to help me. But I always believed in kind of supporting my own habit. But I didn't have a game here, right? I didn't have game. I didn't have people. And so, but I did know how to use an oxygen acetylene torch. And this is back when they were in 2007 when they were, you know, demoing all the hotels to build the VA and the children's hospital. And so I'm like, hmm, copper, right? And so, oh man, the copper thing. And so we're in, you know, in these abandoned hotels, cutting down the copper pipe, you know, like putting them in the back of the truck. Mm. And that's how I was supporting my habit. And so nobody told me like, don't do crime on Colfax. Like nobody said, you know, like this is probably a bad place to be at four o'clock in the morning, cutting down copper pipe out of abandoned buildings. (laughs) Right. But, uh, I, I was doing that. And so, um, all of a sudden, like six, six cop cars roll up, you know, their lights on, they're all who's copper this. I'm like, mine, you know, like, like what? You know, this is not to me, you know? Uh, and so I, you know, I was sick and I'll never forget it. And um, so I went to jail that day mm-hmm. in 2007, it was August 27th of 2007. And um, that was, that was my first clean date for 10 years. And so I, um, I'll never forget, I, I couldn't even go to court for three days because they couldn't, I was that sick. Like they wouldn't even let me go to court. And I remember like stumbling into court and looking at these papers and it said 24 to 48 years for habitual offender. I'm like, what the f-? Like, what is that? You know, they, they, yeah. they have the habitual offender here, better known as the bitch count. <laughs> so, you know, and so, um, but I remember this feeling and I was like, I was praying. I was like, God, if you'll get me out of this, like if you will, I've got to do something because my dad doesn't have 24 to 48 years to wait for me to make a change. And I didn't know what that change was going to be, but I remember this very intense feeling of like something is going to be different. And I didn't know what it was. I still didn't know what recovery was. I didn't know what addiction was. I just knew I was a piece of shit who had messed everybody's lives up, you know? And so... Um, I stayed there for a while and I, I got, you know, the pre-sentencing investigation, the PSI, and I'll never forget the lady was like, we don't have any record of you ever being to treatment or you ever, you know, being offered anything except for prison. And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, I, I was like, I don't, I don't want any part of that double sentence stuff. Like that would be lie for me. And so, you know, I figured it was another drug court scam, you know, and so, she said, no, I don't think you understand. Like, I think I can get you into somewhere. And they call it the last house on the block. Mm-hmm. And um, you can get better there. And, I, you know, I was real reluctant. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But then she said they didn't have a fence. And I was like, send me there. 
that place. Send me to that place. <laughs> the place that I can run from. Right, that part. <laughs> so um, I sat in, uh, in Arapahoe County for eight months, and uh, I didn't use. I didn't use. And I started to get some clarity, um, enough clarity that I thought I had a solid plan to run like of what I was going to do and how I was going to do this better. And um, I started but still to run, right? I was still going to run, you know, mm-hmm. I was terrified, I, but I was hearing about, so I, I was hearing enough that I was curious about what this, this Haven Pier one program was mm-hmm. right. But I wasn't solid enough to where I was, I was like, this is, I, I'm out of here, you know? And so um, I'll never forget, they picked me up. I had like cornrows in my hair. And like, I was like, you know, uh-huh. I was running the pod, you know what I mean? Like, like I had all my it's together. A, it's a picture I can't see, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put the cornrows on your head. I know, I can send you a picture. <laughs> And so, yeah, they had that shot of me. Yes, when I graduated, it was like right there. <laughs> and so, um, but I showed up and immediately, you know, they're like, take that out of your hair. Like, you're not, you know, like, what is wrong with you? And, and I just remember walking into this house and uh, the lady that ran it was like, she was, she was that crazy. But I really wanted to know like what was going on in the house. Cause I knew there was like 40 other women like me and they had the same stories as me, the same uh, you know, consequences is me. And um, I'll never forget that when the judge sentenced me there, he said, I don't think you're going to succeed here, but I'm going to give you a chance anyway. And I was like, okay, you know, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. You know, like this might be not a good idea, but okay. I wouldn't give me that chance at that point, but he did, you know, mm-hmm. he saw fit to give me that chance. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to stay for a couple of days and see how this goes, you know? And, um, but your intention was still, you, you really still believed you were going to run because you're a runner, right? Right. I was a runner. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I can be out of the state. Like, I have, you know, like, I've got a plan. Mm-hmm. And, but I've I, got track shoes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so, but I, I saw what was going on in the house and the feeling that was going on in that house. I was curious. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed a little bit longer and, I stayed to find out what these people knew that I didn't and what this this milieu coordinator, right, the person that was running the facility, like she, I was like, whatever she, like, I want what she's got, you mm-hmm. know? And eventually um, I decided that I was going to stay. And so I decided that I was going to stay for my kids, right? Like these people were getting their kids back. I came in and like on a Wednesday and on Sunday they had kids day. And I was like, if there's any chance of me getting those babies back. I want to be here. Mm-hmm. And watching them on, you know, kids day and stuff like that. Like I, I stayed and I stayed and I stayed and that didn't happen for me. You know, like, um, they reached out to my, you know, they had a liaison for to help with the getting the children back and her like, Oh no, you know, we've already told the kids this and she's gone out of their life and you know, they don't want to see her and you know, yada, yada. And so, um, it came to a point where I had to make a decision and I had enough clean time behind me to where I finally decided, you know, are you going to live or are you going to die? Regardless of the outliers, regardless of your children, your, your, you know, your husband, that's not really your husband at this point. Cause you're like, what the hell, you know, um, your, your mother, your father, whatever, you know, are you going to live or are you going to die? And I had done enough, um, 
things in that program to realize that I wanted to live, right? The most important thing that um, they did for me was introduce me to a 12-step fellowship, right? And so that 12-step fellowship told me that I had a disease of addiction, right? That I did not have a moral dilemma, that I had a disease for which there's no known cure, but recovery was possible, that this disease could be arrested at some point and recovery was impossible. And so my, my, my introduction to that fellowship combined with the behavioral modification that I was receiving, right? Like for somebody to be like, you're okay. Like we realized that you did not ask for this, that you did not um, want to intentionally be a horrible mother, be a horrible daughter, be a horrible employee, be a horrible sister. You know, these things are not your fault, but this is your responsibility. And there's one thing I know how to do, and that is be responsible, right? Especially when somebody has faith in me. And that was the thing, you know, my dad always had faith in me, but it was it was the kind of faith that you just know your dad has to have in you, right? Because I, I grew up with that. And that's why like my idea of a higher power in the fellowship, right? We, it can be anything. It's very, it's very easy for me to believe in a higher power that believes in me and wants to help me in my recovery and um, this unconditional love because my dad's always showing that to me and it's tangible for me, right? And I could grab that. And so um, it was pretty easy for me to, you know, like get involved in, and I was finally a part of something where I felt like I belonged, right? Because I never felt like I belonged in my family. I was letting everybody down. I didn't belong in my, in my household as a mother anymore. I was letting everybody down. I was a horrible sister. Um, I was letting my brothers down. I mean, you know, I was the one that was always going to um, outdo everybody, you know, and there was great expectation for my life from both myself and my family, you know, and I didn't start using drugs till I was 23 years old. You know, and so this was like a big shock to everyone's system. And so, um, oh my gosh, when when you guys told me that, you know, I could do anything and then I started combining that, like I said, with the behavioral modification and, you know, like we get in there and the only thing you say is okay for 30 days. Like I always have something to say, you know what I mean? (laughs) I always have a justification, a rationalization, something, Mm -hmm. right, that I can throw back at you. And, um, you know, when I started uh, working the steps and uh, going to meetings and especially being of service. So service really saved my life, right? My have to became, because you had to go to meetings at first, right? And then your have to becomes a get to, becomes a want to. Mm-hmm. And I was getting into that. And so I excelled, right? And um, I, you know, finally graduated the program. You know, I, I'll never forget, like I was off paper before I graduated. It wasn't supposed to happen that way, but I was, you know, like, I, I I didn't really break the rules in-house, but when I got to like outpatient and transitional, I started dabbling with the, the guys, you know, and so I started da- <laughs> yep. dating some Your of the other guys. addiction. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, you know, I got sent back in house and I wanted to complete that program and be a part of that so bad that I literally paid like extra treatment fees to graduate this program, right? And now I have peer brothers and sisters that are part of my life forever, mm-hmm. right? And so um, I've known I've I've known a lot of these people for a long time, right? And so um, we're family, and so I I eventually um, ended up um, getting my own place. You know, and I'll never forget, like, my first my first apartment, it was, like, bed bug infested, 
And I mean, but I was so proud of that apartment. I was so happy to have that apartment. So grateful, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so I got a job. Um, I've always been in construction, um, you know, but I build, I've been a welder and ship fitter for so many years, right? And so there's no water here. So there's no boats to build. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. Like, I, did, I, I not, heard ship builder and I was like, industry, where is she building right? ships? Like, I was running for the Thank law. You. I mean, it was good. I wasn't working at the time. And so, and so we, you know, I got into, I, I'll never forget, you know, like going to these job interviews. And then I found this one place that I really wanted to work. And um, I went to, they were a general contractor. And, you know, I started working with them and building gas stations. And they believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. And I was like, hey, here's the deal. Like, I could work for you, but I have to call like every four hours and, you know, all this stuff. And they were willing. And um, I ended up being one of the best employees they had. And I worked my way up, you know, from from on my tools to superintendent to project manager. Um, and then, you know, I, and I bought my first house and, you know, I had and I did a, my side company, BFAB. And so that was Brandy's Fabrication or Brandy's Fabulous, whatever you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I, I was, you know, doing like handrails and stairs and, you know, it was, it was growing a little bit. And um, eventually I saw a need for some more subcontractors. So I was able to do some of that. And I was doing both things, but I was very loyal to this company because this company believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, like I said. And so, and it was your first job coming out of it. Absolutely of was in, starting in your recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And I was comfortable there, and I was valued, you know. And to be valued after being unvaluable for so long, right? These people became my family, and they celebrated my clean time with me, and they were they knew my past, but you know, all they saw was what was what was in front of them, right? And so um, I eventually started making my amends, you know, and a lot of the amends that I made to, was my, to myself, right? And so um, I had to do uh, chemotherapy for my liver. And so, you know, that was back when interferon was like, you know, you lost all your hair and you had to give yourself like 20 shots a day and take, it was, it was pretty crazy. And so it was 11 months of that. And I was like, well, I'm Brandy J. Like, they don't know. Like, I'm still going to work. Like, you know, because I'm going to do this. Like, I do all the things and stuff. I've got this. And um, about a week into it, you know, I was like, I can't, I cannot, you know, like go to a job site every day. I was waving my white flag. And so um, I had, by that point, let me back up a little bit. Um, by that point, I had gone back to the state of Washington at four years clean to make my amends. And I planned on going to prison, right? Because I didn't want to not be able to visit my parents. I didn't want to be looking over my shoulders and I knew I owed this amends. So I went to make an amends to the state of Washington and I called ahead and I got an attorney. He's like, oh, not only do you have that, you actually have like three other counties that have outstanding charges on you. And so I said, well, book them all in the same week. I'm coming out, put the one that I'm going to prison on last. Let's run it concurrent. Like, let's make a plan. And by making your amends, you mean your criminal amends. So you went, you were going back to the state of Washington to turn yourself to in. To turn myself in and do my time. That is really commendable. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That's and I was in, you. I was in that, uh, that apartment. So it was before I bought, bought my house and, um, the guy I was living with at the time, um, I, I, you know, signed the lease over to him and I was like, this is what's going to happen. And this is where we're at. And I'm going to go do my, uh, 14 years and, you know, I'll probably only do half time cause it's not you know, nonviolent. And so I kind of knew how the system worked there by then. And um, 
I said my goodbyes and there was a, a convention going on at the time. My home group members, uh, about 10 of them were going out there because one of them was the, the speaker for that convention. And so I tried to plan it around where I could go to the convention, get filled up with some recovery and then go to prison. And so that was the plan. And then when the dates came about for court, they wouldn't change my date. So it was actually the week before the convention. So I gave my, my convention, um, uh, away to a newcomer and I was like, that's okay. This is, you know, where we're supposed to be. So I started showing up to court and I went through the first to the first court date and it was on the Island. And, uh, it was for, uh, driving under the, and I, I have a lot of DUIs, but not for alcohol. They're all for drugs. <laughs> and so I, you know, this first one and they, they lost the blood evidence. And I was like, what's going on? What's, you know, like, this is not, this kind of stuff doesn't happen for me. They usually find like everything, everything. and, and then, you know, whatever. And so, um, that worked. So this was on a Monday. So Tuesday I went to another court date and, um, they they gave me two weeks of ankle monitor, um, for a paraphernalia charge that I could serve in Colorado. And I was like, Nobody's ever given me an ankle monitor before. Like, this is cool. Like, I was never trusted with an ankle monitor. And telling right. me I can go back home. And yeah. telling me I can go back home, right? And I'm like, but, you know, that was, it was overshadowed by this one that I had at the end, you yeah. know? And so I'm like, that's great. Checks out. Like, this is so cool. I can't believe these are, these blessings are happening to me, you know? And so um, the next court date, it, it was another DUI. And... They wanted to give me three years because, but now I had one under my belt, right? And um, they ended up having to throw out the case because there was a dirty cop on the case and whoever was involved in his cases had to be thrown out. Like, this stuff only happens on TV, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, what are you doing here, higher power? Like, what are you doing? Like, what what's going on, right? And so I'm, I'm struggling with like, oh my gosh, miracles are happening. And then, yeah, these are happening because this is going to happen, right? Because we, we had the committee in our head talking back mm -hmm. and forth. Yeah. So um, Thursday I go and I go in front of this judge and, and it was the same judge who had sent me to prison twice before. And I'm like, holy hell, this is, this is going down. Well, the DA came up to me before it. And, and the thing I, I, I want to stress is that before I went, this same person who was the milieu coordinator had become one of my best friends. And she suggested that I make a Faces of Recovery booklet to where I had like my, from my mugshot to where I was today with photographs and letters from my employer and letters from my landlord and letters from paying off student loans and letters from, you know, all, everything. I had a letter from the Secretary Show your of State. Show character. Absolutely. And so I presented this binder, right? And um, I'll never forget, like I was waiting to see him. The guy before me pissed him off and I'm like, I'm going down. I'm going down. And, and the DA came up to me and they're like, listen, we're going to, we're going to give you a deal for five years because of what you're doing. Like, and I think they felt the temperature in the room before I did, you know? And, um, I, I was like, this is a blessing. You know, I'm only going to do like two and a half, three years. Like I'm going to be good. And I was celebrating. I went in the bathroom and I just dropped to my knees and I cried and I was like, this is what's happening. And so I literally, um, went, um, in there with, uh, a simple, a simple prayer you know, that my sponsor had, had taught me, and it was GGMM, God guide my mouth, you know. And so I use that all the time. It's very versatile prayer that you can say. Really versatile. I love that. It's very versatile. And so, 
And so, um, uh-huh. so I went in there, and um, my dad is by my side, uh, my significant other is by my side, and the judge says, "Aren't you the girl that nodded off in my courtroom last time?" And I'm like, and the DA's like, "That's her, that's her," you know. And he said, "And you realize that you absconded from the state of Washington?" I'm like, "Yes, Your Honor, I did." And he's like flipping this book like angrily, you know, like he's flipping this binder as he's speaking to me. He's like. And you realize I don't have to go along with the DA's recommendation, correct? And I'm like, yes, Your Honor, I do. And I'm like, I'm going down. And so, and he says, he stops and he says, I have never seen anybody in my courtroom has made significant changes you have. And he says, and I'm not going along with the DA's recommendation. I'm giving you zero days and a mouth swab because you did commit a bunch of felonies. (laughs) He's like, and I... He said, the only thing I ask is that when you come back to visit your parents, you'll come speak at my drug court. Mm-hmm. And I drug court. And I was like, <laughs> wow. And by now I knew what drug court was, right? I would have never succeeded, but back then. But <laughs> <laughs> <You were> not, <laughs> I made the right decision. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, but I was like. So I wouldn't leave the courtroom, right? So I'm like, my dad's like trying to drag me. I'm like, but yes, Your Honor, but you do realize, you know, he's like, you're free to go. And I'm like, okay, but Your Honor, but you do realize I live in Colorado. And he's like, you're free to go. And I'm like, okay, but there's a convention I want to go to in Ocean Shores, Washington. And he's like, go to your convention. Like, and my dad's like, you know, pulling me. But I just couldn't, I I couldn't believe this was happening to me. And so they're still like on the CD from that year um, at the Pac North or at, at the, 12-step convention that um, you can hear the speaker saying, you know, and this girl is not supposed to be here. Like what, you know, these are the gifts of recovery, mm-hmm. right? And so I went back to um, Colorado and I wore my little ankle monitor for two weeks and I get a message on Facebook from some random person, right? Because I always kept my Facebook updated and I still do that today. It's very important for me because I wanted my kids to know what I was doing every single day. So that if they were watching just by chance, that they would know that I love them and they were the most important thing in my life. And I get a random message, and um, I knew immediately it was my daughter. And so uh, she was so brave, and she said, you know, um, I said, Cassie, I know this is you. And she said, can you please um, not tell my dad that I called you? And I said, you know, I don't operate in dishonesty today, and I won't, but I will come fight for you. I said, I'll come fight for visitation. And so I called an attorney because I was feeling pretty good about courtrooms at that time. And so I called an attorney and I said, you know, I I just want some supervised visitation with my daughter, you know. And, you know, these things that we want for ourselves, like when when we get into recovery and we're doing the next right thing for the next right reason, like we have no idea what's in store for us. And we always shortchange ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so— I went back, and I'll never forget, you know, planning this trip, like, on the fly. Like, I was going down to, you know, I was going to get six days of supervisor visitation with my daughter. And my sponsor called me, and she's like, that's crazy. Like, myself and another, you know, one of your friends is going down there to see another addict um, at the same time. We've had this tri- trip planned for a year, right? And these are those coincidences that we don't overlook when we when we know what we know, right? And so— I was not alone on that trip, first of all. Like, I was surrounded by my people, and I was introduced to a fellowship down there where I never knew what the word addict was, right? And so I was able to um, be guided and surrounded by people that love me and um, watched me walk through this. I get to the airport, and my ex-husband texts me. He says, we need to talk. And I'm like, 
okay, meet me somewhere public. And so we sat down, he talked, and he said, you know, I haven't been completely honest. Like, I've been going out on the oil rigs, working, leaving the kids at home for, like, 30 days at a time, you know. Um, you need to take Cassie. Michael's not ready yet, but you need to take Cassie. And these are my two younger ones. My older ones were already grown and out of the house. Um, I'm still not speaking to me. Cassie was the first one. And, and he said, uh, if you if you want to take her back with you, I don't have a problem with that. And so I went to get her. And um, when I got there and walked into that house, um, I started packing up her stuff, right? And I'm like, you you know, we're going to get you new stuff. Like, it, you know, it was kind of squalor. You know, it was squalor. And I couldn't believe that all this time, like, I thought that I couldn't provide for these kids. And the image that I had of myself was so bad still that I was, you know, I just really felt like they they didn't want to talk to me, you know. And, like, I shouldn't try to impose on their life at this point. And they were happy. And they had, you know— a parent, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, um, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and everything happened just the way it was supposed to happen. I walked in that room. I'm like digging some of her favorite stuffed animals out. And I come across this homemade ceramic medallion with our logo on it for the 12-step fellowship that I'm in. And it was ceramic and it was painted. And I was like, Cassie, where did you get this? And she says, I don't know, mama. It's been here since I got here. Since we moved in, it was in the closet. Oh, and I was like, Man, I am in the care of. Mm-hmm. I am in the care of. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And so um, she, it, it just really progressed from there. And um, I ended up getting all four of my children back, you know. And I came back with custody of her with on my birthday. I ended up getting them all back. I started, um, you know, after the chemotherapy, I had no choice but to expand BFAB. And I, it became a multi-million dollar company. I eventually went back to um, the place I was working and I was like, hey, because I was loyal to them. And I'm like, hey, I'm ready to come back to work. And, you know, one of the owners pulled me aside and said, you're doing too good on your own, girl. Keep flourishing. And so that's what we did. And um, it just grew and grew. And then, um, you know, I worked a lot of steps and stuff. And I had, I had one reservation that kept showing up on my step work. And I was like, if anything ever happens to my dad, I don't know if I can stay clean. And I was self-deceiving myself, right? I was like, well, I know what to say to this because I, you know, I'm in the middle of the boat. I work, I work steps. I go to meetings. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor who has a sponsor. I'm of service. You know, I have sponsees and I know what I would tell somebody else to do to talk to somebody who's been through that before. And that was always my rebuttal for my own bullshit in my head. And then my dad was visiting me. Um, and he, uh, <sighs> I had I had had a stroke, and my left side was paralyzed. Um, it all came back except for my hand, and I couldn't drive. And so he was driving me around. You know, my dad always shows up. He was there within 12 hours, and he was working from my house. You know, he works for the government, so he's home. He was working from my house, and he said, eventually, you know, when, like when we got these things figured out and figured out I was having seizures and needed medication, he— um, it was about, it was, he's about to go home. And he said, do you mind if we take the Harleys? You know, cause I love to ride. My dad taught me how to ride when I was a little girl and I love to ride my Harleys. And he said, do you mind if we take the Harleys and go down to the motorcycle expo? And I'm like, please get out of my hair. You know, you've been doting on me. Like this is annoying at this point. And you know, um, about an hour later I got a call and it said, dad's down, dad's down. And, um, from that moment on, my life changed, right? And so I went into, I flew down to the site and they were resuscitating my father for the third time. Um, I was already, you know, having medical issues. Um, my son had gone into the Marine Corps, like my daughter was about to graduate, you know, so like all this stuff was happening. Um, and, and there were a lot of changes going on in my life. So 
uh, from that moment on, I made it my mission to make sure that my father was okay. And, that, you know, I will never regret that decision. It was an honor to be able to take care of the man that took care of me for so long. And I, I took care of him to the best of my ability. We were in the hospital for 14 months between uh, St. Luke's and all the surgeries and then aftercare for the brain injury and, and the physical therapy. And I never left the hospital. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't call my sponsor. I didn't work steps. I just continued to take care of my father. And I took that proverbial oxygen mask off of myself and put it on him and I suffocated. And so after um, he was back to Washington State, we're walking and talking. I, um, I didn't know who I was when that ended. You know, I, my kids were gone from the house. Like I, my significant other had relapsed and, you know, I just, I didn't know where I was in the fellowship. I had resentments. I'm like, why didn't these people come save me? Well, the fact is I should have reached out for help because I could have had 150 addicts at that hospital, but I had too much pride, right, and ego. I didn't want them to see me in that shape that I was in. And so I relapsed, and um, I fell hard again, and I fell, fell quickly, and I ended up with three more distribution manufacturing charges within a very short period. And... Um, you know, people that use with me at that time will tell me, you know, the only thing that you talked about when you were using was like, you guys don't have to live this way anymore. There's a fellowship that can help you <laughs> as I was using, you know, it was like, I knew where I needed to go, but I, I didn't know how to get back there. The guilt and the shame was horrible. I had 10 years when I went out. Um, I was a very significant staple in our fellowship and, and, and just giving back to the community in general. And my life became unmanageable again. And, um, then I decided I'd had enough. You know, after that third one, I was looking at prison time again, and uh, I decided I had enough. Um, long story short, I, you know, I went to DOC. I ended up going to DOC, and I didn't think they were going to send me to DOC. I'm like, you know, with all this stuff I've done for the community, I'm like, you know, we always think we're unique and that we're entitled and and all that stuff. And then you're going to get another light shining down on you. Right, right. I'm like, this isn't how this is supposed to go. And then, you this know, time it was time to pay. It was time to pay. And so I became a part of a Colorado DOC. And um, I, I didn't react very well at first. You know, I got in there and I was still angry and I was angry at myself more than anything. But, you know, I didn't know how to project that. And um, I, you know, I ended up, oh my gosh, I ended up getting in fights when I first got there and, you know, got some extra time and all of this stuff. And then and then finally, you know, like I had this clarity, um, the kind of the same clarity that I experienced before. And I was like, I know what I need to do. Um, and I, I ended up going through TC there. And um, I was finally able to go to meetings behind the walls, which is where I had taken the meetings before. Right. So I know what I know what, you know, bringing a meeting behind a wall looks like. I know how important it is. And so um, I'll never forget another addict showing up and he was speaking and he didn't even recognize me. And. I went up to him after because he talked about, you know, somebody in the fellowship had, had died after a long period of clean time. And I wanted to know who it was. And, you know, I said, who was it? And he's like, this is who it was. Do you know her? And I looked up at him and he's like, holy, shit. you know, like this is whole. Do you know who you have in here? You know, this is what's going. Why are you running this place? Why aren't you sharing your experience, strength and hope? Why aren't you like, and he said, get your act together. You need to do something with yourself and get your act together. And from that moment forward, I started carrying the message behind the walls, right? And, um, 
you know, I eventually got out of prison and went straight to another addict's house, you know, and um, I was, you know, welcomed with open arms into the fellowship and those resentments that I had, while some of them were valid, you know, they all melted away. The gratitude took over, right? And, and the one thing I can tell you is that I do my recovery today just like I did it before. I take the stuff that doesn't work and I threw it away, right? And I take the stuff that does work and I carry a stronger message today. And the one thing that I really have learned um, is that before I was doing it for others, Today, I'm doing it for myself. You know, I don't care what I look like when I go into a meeting. I don't care what you think of me or if I say the right thing during my share or, you know, how I handle Like, I'm just me. And, you know, if you can't take me at this, this is the authentic me. And so, you know, I don't want to put on a facade because that facade got me clean. I've let down walls because the people that do know me know my authentic self. So I've been able to get closer, like, to the women in the fellowship, right? So I always have, like, issues with distrust of women and disrespect for women, I think, is more like it, right? Because I didn't respect my mothers. And, um... I, you know, only had so much respect for my father. And so I looked to men, I, you know, my, I have only brothers, you know, and so I, I work with men, you know, and so that's the people I surrounded myself, right? But this relationship that I have with the women in my life, like Nani today, like we are like this squad that can't be broken up, all of us, you know, and, and you know, we share our highs, we share our lows, we share our experience, strength, and hope, and we walk through this um, with as much grace as we can you know, but in an authentic way. And I can tell you that, you know, we say an, an authentic share is heard, right? And so I pay more attention to like what a newcomer is saying, or, you know, I never want to get to that place again, where I feel like I have to say a certain thing to be okay in recovery. Like I am just me. I walked through this. I was like within, I've only been out of prison for less than like five months, you know, and I, I have my own place. I just bought this brand new truck, you know, and it's not about material things, but it's about getting back, you know, the things that I I lost, you know. And so um, I've got a great position with a, um, a big developer in town as vice president of construction, you know, and um, I'm, I'm a good employee. You know, I've always cared about, you know, the outcome of what I do. I take pride in what I do. I take pride in my recovery. I take pride in my job. Um, you know, I do want to point out that there's things that I don't have in my life today. You know, my kids are all pissed at me. They're not talking to me. Um, and that came uh, from, you know, like some of the craziness that happened when, you know, I, I used again, right? And, and they were very disappointed. They had never seen me fail from mm -hmm. the time I got them back. You know, everything was just, you know, butterflies and unicorns and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so there were some things that went on, you know, and they were very disappointed in me. Um, and so, but I know where this, I know how this goes, right? Mm -hmm. I know that if I keep doing the next right thing for the next right reason, that everything that is supposed to come to me will. And I, I can tell you right now that I don't worry about my kids. I raised some amazing kids, right? They don't have addiction problems, um, probably because they called me Dora the Explorer when they were growing up, right? And so I was like always searching their room and stuff, you know, when they're acting <laughs> up. Like I was, I was like, you know, I was like a little overbearing. But, you know, they were raised with responsibility. You know, they were raised with values. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. And they act accordingly. They're independent. They have their own places. They have their own jobs. They 
they have their own, you know, like they work for Chevron, they're in the Marine Corps, they're running their own companies, they're in law school, you know? And so um, I don't worry about them, you know? Um, Selfishly, I want my relationship with them, but if this is the best I get today, I'm going to be okay with that because today I'm going to live. Right. And then I do have my grandkids in my life. I have four of my five of my grandkids in my life. And I get to go see them play football all the time and like take them out for ice cream and spend time with them. So if that's the best I get, cool. But I, I very highly doubt it is because I know how this works. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm in a place today where I just and I, I still do uh, meetings behind walls. You know, I mean, it's very important for me to carry that message. And now I just have mm-hmm. more of a message before I didn't know what relapse looked like. And now I do. Mm-hmm. I know what coming back in after a long period of clean time looks like. Right. And I know the guilt and the shame that comes along with that. I know how hard it is to take your seat back. And I also know that you better not let that seat ever be taken from you again. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I appreciate you letting me share. I appreciate you coming <laughs> in and doing it. Man, I'm so I mean, grateful. Yeah. High five. Like you, we started off and we're going to end it with another high five, too. <laughs> That's my girl, Brandy Jennings from Denver. Congratulations on, on your journey to your recovery. And where you are today. Congratulations on where you are today and where you will be in the future. Absolutely. And uh, I look forward to, to hearing, like you said, how things will happen, how they're supposed to happen. I look forward to for an update from you, you in the future. It. You got it. Nani, anything? I just, when I hear you say, I'm going to live today, what I hear you say is I'm going to love myself and I'm going to choose my recovery the way that I want to do it today. Right. That's what I hear you say. Right. And Absolutely. I love that. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes we have to be selfish with selfish. our recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had to let go of things that didn't work and, and people that didn't work. Right. Even in, even in the fellowship, like even, even with the people I surround myself, like everybody's that have like me and I don't have to be everybody's friend. I had this very naive view before, <laughs> you know, but I do have to respect your recovery and I do yeah. have to be there. That's right. If you need GGMM. It. And that is that is one thing that I'll probably I, I like to to keep quotes from people that come in and speak. And that's one that I will carry with me. God awesome. guide my mouth. <laughs> All right. Malhai, uh, time has flown by and I, I have so many things that I would love to ask you, but we're out of time. So, um, gosh, it just it, it, it went. It went. It came and it went. <laughs> uh, but our guest has been Brandy Jennings from Denver. Malhai, if you've missed any portion of this program and you want to hear it in its entirety, you can go to facebook.com slash SOS sharing our stories. Um, you can also find this on flowdenver.com, jammin1015.com. You can find it on all your podcast sites. Just search for SOS sharing our stories. And uh, please share this program and subscribe to our program and, and join us again. This airs every Sunday morning, 7 a.m. on Jammin1015 and Flow 107.1. And we're just here to tell you that, yes, we do recover and that you don't have to suffer in your addiction. So thank you for being a part of the program. To our guest, Brandy Jennings, thank you for being our guest. Thanks for having me. We got a big group hug coming right after this. And uh, this is Sharing Our Stories. want to say a special thanks to Caring for Denver and, of course, to Tribe Recovery Homes. We'll see you again 